Hello, this is Mr. Galley from GCSE English Revision Pod with a quick message for you. If you want even more English Revision Pod in your ears, you can now subscribe to our premium service, GCSE English Revision Pod Plus, where for the price of just over £2 a month, on top of all the amazing free episodes, which will continue to be free and there for you to use, you can also get a selection of amazing bonus episodes on things like Macbeth, A Christmas Carol, Romeo and Juliet, and all your favourite topics covered in the depth and detail that you are used to. If you are interested in getting even more GCSE English Revision Pod, all you've got to do is click the link at the top of this episode description, where you can subscribe to GCSE. English Revision Pod Plus. Hello and a happy Sunday to you if you're listening to this on the day of its release. I sure hope you are, keen listeners. Exactly. What else would you be doing on a Sunday apart from ravenously studying for your upcoming GCSEs? Uh, my name is Mr. Galley. And I'm Mr. Forster. We are here, as ever, in Mr. Forster's car, recording GCSE English Revision Pod. If you'd like to contact us, you can do that, sir. Where would they do that? Um, EnglishRevisionPod at gmail.com. Fantastic. And let us know any questions that you feel we haven't covered or any suggestions that you would like covered in the future. We are very happy to look at those for you. We're, uh, we're in the process of getting our Instagram working, but it's not all been plain sailing, has it, sir? No, it's harder than it looks, young the, people. These modern technologies, I don't know how... Uh, uh, how quite how we're meant to do it but we will get there we will persevere um, and we will eventually be posting key quotations and analysis on instagram so there right in front of you at the flash of your screen something for everybody something to look for forward everybody to. to look forward to uh this podcast today then this is going to be our third episode that deals with a christmas carol and then after this i think the plan is to move on to look at a bit of power and conflict poetry um perhaps some of macbeth although our school doesn't study it i'm looking forward to getting my teeth into it mm. and then and then we'll, we'll see what, what our dear listeners want to get Absolutely. where we go from there i can't wait i'm excited but for today this will be our return to dickens's uh, world the of... wintry world of a Christmas carol. Absolutely, it's a perfect day for it. And maybe, say so you'd like to take us through the question, which of course our students, I'm sure, know by now, can download along with all the quotations we talk about and the key vocabulary, as well as the AO3 from the link in the bio of this podcast. Yeah, and I, as I said, as we always say, it's really useful to download these because it means you've got a, a, a note in your revision notes that can, you know, a page that... that, that commemorates what you've listened to absolutely so um, let's get into the question so the question is the extract is taken from chapter stave one chapter one of a christmas carol mm-hmm. uh, and it's right at the beginning it's the first description of scrooge mm-hmm. and the question goes how does dickens present scrooge's change in a christmas carol so that's quite an easy one to me i think i'd be quite happy if this came yeah up. i'd be very very happy so mm. the first thing of course to acknowledge in your introduction is that this is a novella that is all about change it's about how an individual changes after uh, an, a terrifying encounter with four ghosts right so the whole novella is about change and what this extract shows us really is what scrooge is like before he changes it shows us it shows us the this solitary misanthropic miser okay a lot of words a lot of words going on there so misanthropic is like me um, at the end of a long week mm. uh, hates other people and just yeah. wants you know to to spend some time alone right and a miser is someone who's greedy and doesn't like spending money so this is how scrooge is described at the beginning i think let's look at some quotations for how dickens describes him because there's a there's a lot of imagery here we can analyze okay what so, are you pulling out so he's described initially the metaphor we're going to look at is he was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone 
So a grindstone is an abrasive surface on which um, you would sharpen your knives. The mm. idea of him being as this tight-fisted hand at the grindstone, it both ties in with his job as a moneylender. Um, because the idea that he's wearing down these people he, he lends money to. He's, he's this abrasive, harmful figure. And not only being tight-fisted as well, it also has these connotations of him holding on to his money. So in many ways, this opening image encapsulates his, his miserly and his harmful nature. Okay, he grinds down the people who owe him money. He's no humanity, no compassion for the people yeah. he's lent money. And we see this with the, with the adjectives that follow. He's a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, <laughs> covetous old sinner. That's quite the list. I mean, it's how I describe you. <laughs> Um, and, I mean, what all these words have in common is, of course, mm. is the connotations of violence, squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scratching. Right. Um, again, it's, it's all combining to create this metaphorical idea of his job being somehow harmful to those around him. Yeah, it's not enough that he's just taking their money. He also seems to be sort of malevolently almost wishing them wishing them harm as well as making money from them sharp as flint he's described as and what would you move on to next would you look at the fire yeah i mean so hard on sharp as flint is interesting because of course it initially connotes both this idea ties in this idea of him as this this sharp harmful presence but also crucially the flint the the flint dickens notes is from which no steel had ever struck out generous fire so flint could be used in the victorian era as to light fires. If you strike flint with a piece of steel, you create a spark okay. on which lights a fire. And fire in the novella as a whole becomes this motif, this symbol that comes to represent warmth, love, the Christmas spirit. That's interesting. So, so he's got all the hardness of the flint. He's got the same rocky, unpleasant quality, but he but doesn't give the spark. But none of that potential. He doesn't give the spark. But um, and, and we see another simile that's doing something similar here. He's solitary as an oyster. Mm. So again, oysters... Actually, ate an oyster last night. Yeah, yeah it, was, um, it was disgusting. <laughs> I don't know why anybody does. But anyway, I'm sorry. <laughs> But oysters, I think oysters are have this hard outer shell. So again, mm. the obvious idea of him is this misanthropic figure keeping out the outside world. And yet, both of these similes, this is a really important point, contain with them the idea of the potential for change. Okay. Because, of course, the idea that he, of him as this flint suggests that although he has not yet struck out a solitary fire, a uh, generous fire, there is the possibility for him to do so. Ah. And likewise, oysters um, can create pearls. So and what our students would... Oh, apologies. So uh, and 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 take, taking that even further mm. um, is that actually pearls are created by oysters as a reaction against an impurity. So if a grain of sand gets into the oyster, they cover it in this lustrous material that becomes ultimately this pearl, this precious... Um, this precious thing that can be turned into jewellery. So the, the very idea contained in this simile is that not only does he have the potential to change, but it could be his very impurities that could be transformed into something mm. positive, something of value to society. In the same way that the flint by itself can be quite aggressive and painful perhaps but when once you used to start the fire it takes on this whole new significance yeah just like that though this although he sorts his oyster there's this, the suggestion implicit in there that that he like an oyster could create a pearl inside him from the very impurities that once made him this misanthropic miserly figure so students writing at the top level looking at this extract would be saying something like though the imagery on the surface seems incredibly um incredibly sort of uh, negative about Scrooge and makes him sound like this terrible person hidden within that imagery is all of this ability that there is or all of this possibility I should say for these changes to happen potential energy I think and obviously it's crucial if you're going for those grades 7 to 9 you need to explain exactly how those metaphors work right Um, the last thing to look at in this extract because although it's a quite short extract there's a lot of imagery in here to analyse the last thing to look at before we move into our second paragraph will lead us nicely into that paragraph is of course the imagery of cold right so all of the imagery to describe Scrooge 
towards the end of this extract, focuses on the semantic field of cold. So the cold within him froze his old features. Mm. It shriveled his cheek, stiffened his gait. His, his thin lips are blue, described as being blue. And Dickens says there is a frosty rime on his head. Um, and he carried his low temperature always about with him. He is cold personified. Yeah, he is, the, he is this personification of cold. And if we look at... Um, so a rhyme, you may not know, of course. Mm. A rhyme is, of course, that, that frost you get on grass in the early morning. It's that kind of uh, that beautiful white frost. So it's, right. it's obviously literally describing how he has white hair. Mm. But again, the connotations of all of this imagery is that he is cold. Mm. Um, it says, you know, external heat and cold had little influence. No warmth could warm, no wintry weather chill him. As someone who cycles to work, I've got to say I kind of know <laughs> what he uh, what he's going for. I but think. of course, the, the vital thing our students want to write about is, is mm. not the literal coldness of the office. That is, we can of course mention that. Yeah. But it is of course the metaphorical coldness that he shows towards all those around the him. The cold within. And this is something that Dickens suggests needs to change. Right. And does that lead us into our second paragraph? It does. Because I thought the, the the best place to go from here in our second paragraph would be to trace that motif of fire and warmth throughout the novella and look at how this shows mm-hmm. um, Scrooge's transformation. Okay. So, for example, in Stave 2, um, Dickens describes uh, Scrooge visiting with the Ghost of Christmas Past, Fezziwig, his old employer. Right. And uh, if we look at the description of Fezziwig's room, it's described as being snug and warm and dry and bright as a ballroom. Fuel was heaped upon the fire. And even Fezziwig himself is bright. Uh, uh, he says how a positive light appeared to issue from Fezziwig's calves that shone in every part of the dance like moon. So in the same way that Scrooge was seeming to emit coldness in, uh, in our first paragraph, we're now looking at a complete... Uh, contrast to that in the sense that Fezziwig seems to have a warmth that comes from within him. Yeah, Fezziwig is set up as a counterpoint or a foil to mm. Scrooge, someone who is defined by warmth. And what's important in an essay on change, of course, is to note how Dickens describes how Scrooge is heated by seeing um, Fezziwig. And this, I do not think this is an accident. Because the, no. the, the, con- the idea of him being heated implies, again, that, that seeing this kind man who once employed him is the first catalyst bringing about his change. Okay, so he's been he's, influenced by it. He's, yeah, he's been, been warmed. He's been warmed by the, uh, by the sight of this person from his former life. That's very interesting. So that then takes us, I suppose, into the Cratchits? Yeah, so we could also look at the warm fire in the Cratchits' house, mm-hmm. in Fred's house in Stave 3, and the, even in the house of the working-class characters, the miners, the lighthouse keepers, the sailors. In each case, they're depicted to be gathered around a fire. And I think what we might want to note here, even if we don't quote, we might just want to paraphrase this in an essay, mm-hmm. Scrooge wants to be a part of these warm households. In, in the case of Fred's house, his nephew, he even implores the ghost for, if he can stay and take part in the party games. <laughs> he wants to be in the warmth of the room. And again, this is signifying his desire to change. Well, that's, um, that's kind of where our second paragraph's going. Then. So our first paragraph is setting out that he's described as this terrible being and yet hints at the possibilities of change. It establishes the motif of cold. Then we get into the second paragraph where we look at this idea that it is the heat that he begins to see, which perhaps is the catalyst, the encouragement yeah. for his change. And then, I mean, to finish off this paragraph before we look at the ghosts themselves, mm-hmm. to, we then, of course, see in, in stage five, Scrooge described as being as glowing. Right. So the implication being that he's no longer cold-hearted, defined by his greed. In fact, structurally, there's a really important point to make here, that the novella ends with him sending out Bob Cratchit to buy another coal scuttle. Mm-hmm. This is an obvious metaphor for his newfound design, not only to spend his, his, his wealth on his employer, as Fezziwig did on Scrooge when he was young, mm-hmm. but also on his desire to provide warmth, both literal and metaphorical warmth, mm-hmm. to 
to all of those that he encounters. So we can say the flint he once was has now sparked, sparked into yeah. the fire that will warm his uh, his employee. Both literally and metaphorically. Oh, I love it when it's both. It's my favourite. <laughs> um, and so... We're getting into the ghosts then. Do yeah, we think, think, are we leaving paragraph two? Yeah, I think we want to talk about the ghosts um, quite a lot now. Um, okay. I think the first word is, of course, to come back to this idea of this novella being an allegory. So an allegory is a story with a hidden message. Okay. And I think we want to focus finally on the allegorical message of the ghosts teaching us about how change is brought about. Okay. So Dickens uses the ghosts in order to get across his allegorical message about how we can change. So it's a bit of a stretch and challenge paragraph in a sense because you've our first paragraphs have been relatively simple. Here's how he was, here's how he started to change and here's how the images represented that. Our third paragraph is more about Dickens talking about the mechanisms of change, what yeah. change, what has to happen for yeah. change. So you could, of course, end your paragraph just with what we, your, your essay with what we were just talking about. But I mm. think if you're serious about trying to get those top grades, this is a great thing to look at. Yeah. So um, initially, the suggestion seems to be that change is brought through fear. So Marley's ghost is a terrifying figure. And his description gains a real allegorical significance because... Um, he shows Scrooge what he could be. Right. So Marley is uh, described as having a chain that was wound about him like a tail, mm-hmm. and it's made up of cash boxes, keys, padlocks, ledgers, deeds, and heavy purses wrought in steel. So the idea is that he's chained up by his past, that he can't change. He's tied up. And so the message clearly here is that Scrooge, if he wants to avoid this fate, he needs to change right so it's a very clear warning it's this is where you're headed so Dickens sets out the um, the the process of change the mechanism of change through initially a quite a, quite a simple rep- well a very a very visual representation yeah. of where Scrooge's greed is taking with, him. with a metaphorical idea of of the, these cash boxes being the very things that take away Marley's freedom these things that defined him in life his miserly dis- mm. you know, his miserly nature is, uh, the things that chain him in death people famously say uh, you can't take it with you don't they when they're talking yeah. about uh, uh, although I, the ironically he, he does but yeah. it, it ties him up it <laughs> in chains the worst him down way. Yeah. so then in stave two, I think what we need to look at, though, is although um, Dickens suggested that each of these ghosts brings about a change in Scrooge, it is crucial to see that it's, it's all, the message of all three ghosts is needed. So although Scrooge in stave two initially seems to start to change, he appears to warm, he is heated by, by seeing Fezziwig, mm-hmm. he seems quite moved by seeing, by, seeing his, you know, by seeing his sister and by seeing Belle. And, but at the end of this chapter... The light, that the bright, clear jet of light that's emanating from the ghost of Christmas past head, which obviously uh. symbolises the, the warmth, the Christmas spirit, the, the kindness and the love that he's trying to show Scrooge. Yeah. Scrooge's reaction to all of this at the end of the chapter is to take the extinguisher cap and press it down upon its head. So he starts to let the light in, he begins to let the light into his life. But, but at but the end then... of stave two... Shuts it down. He shuts it down. So what the message here is, perhaps the, 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 the allegorical message is that it's not enough simply to look at your past. No. The past is not on its own enough of a catalyst for change. Mm. And we see this, therefore, that actually it's only in stage three and stage four that we see Scro- Scrooge truly start to change. With the ghost of Christmas present, he's, he's, he, he, he acts differently. He's, he now entered timidly and hung his head. There's yeah. a sense that he's perhaps ashamed of himself. But it's only in stage four where Scrooge perhaps, um, where the heart of the allegorical message becomes clear. Scrooge says that he will live in the past, the present, and the future. That's very interesting. Is that suggesting, I suppose, that for real change to happen, it might be necessary to go through pain? Yeah. In the sense that the first ghost, 
only shows him like, oh, look how nice Christmas can be. You know, wouldn't you like to be part of this? And it's a it's a kind of surface change. It's a, it's sort of he wants to change, but he's not really committed. That's the but second ghost. That's the ghost of Christmas present. That's, uh, sorry, yeah. which yeah. is uh, which is what I mean, of course. But it's only when he goes through the uh, when he goes through the fear. Yeah, it's the terrifying mm. encounter with his own grave in Stave. Which is, which is what is truly needed. So what do you think is the allegorical message well, then behind the past, the present and the future? It's the idea, of course, that the only way to truly change is to both acknowledge the reality of what you've done in the past, to see um, where you are in the present and also where society is in the present. Mm-hmm. Um, because the Ghost of Christmas present, of course, takes Scrooge to see the Cratchits, the poorer yeah. and, and the working class um, lighthouse keepers and sailors and miners. And all of this to build a better future. To build a better future. And then it's the final kind of part of this allegorical message is that in order to change, you have to acknowledge the path that you're on. Mm. What are you heading towards? And so the suggestion, therefore, is, uh, is, is that through... These, these ghosts come to represent, actually, the process of change in general. Dickens is showing us how, if we, like Scrooge, want to change, we have to, we have to, we have to like Scrooge, go through this same process. So if I can sum up the essay, as I, as I like to do around this time in the pod, we started off, we've talked about um, the imagery of Scrooge given in the extract about him as this hard-hearted, miserly type with um, a love of money and little humanity, but yet hidden deep in that imagery are these little flickers of opportunity for change. Yeah. Then in the, our second paragraph, we're moving on to the encounter with Fezziwig and the general symbolism of light and talking about how the mm-hmm. motif of warmth and light melting the, the coldness. And then our third paragraph, we get actually into the mechanisms change, of change. Yeah, mechanisms yeah. Of change. What is it that they actually do in order to change him and how is that relevant to society? Yeah, I mean, I'm aware one thing we've perhaps been a bit light on this week is context. There is, of mm. course, a lot of context on the sheet. A lot of it we've already talked about. So in terms of adding some of that in, we could actually... Um, you know, we, we could link in, of course, how in his preface to the novella, Dickens noted how he wanted this book to haunt his readers pleasantly. So actually, right. certainly in that, in that third paragraph, looking at the, 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 the allegorical message being in the ghosts, this is something Dickens makes explicit in the preface. He wanted this to be not just about Scrooge, but to, to actually affect us mm. as readers. Similarly, I suppose, in the way we were talking in the last podcast about Priestley's message, there's a similar thing going on here, right? Yeah, uh, and actually, um, you know, like Priestley, years later, talking uh, in, in Inspector Calls, um, uh, he said um, when he wrote this book that he wanted it to be uh, something that would strike the heaviest blow in my power, something that would come down with sledgehammer force. So mm. this metaphor that he's using um, to talk about his novella, is a metaphor that implies he wants this novella to be a catalyst for change. He wants Uh. it to bring about social change. But of course the irony is, as we've mentioned on the other two episodes on A Christmas Carol, is that the change Dickens wants is not particularly revolutionary. No, unlike Priestley. Yeah, yeah. or perhaps it might be better here to talk about some of his contemporaries. Unlike unlike Friedrich Engels, Uh the German philosopher, he doesn't want some kind of social revolution. He doesn't want true equality. What he wants instead is simply the rich to become slightly more generous particularly around Christmas time so mm-hmm. just a, a tiny little point for your conclusion yeah. there I think might be the, the just actually you know the change that he wants is perhaps not as revolutionary as it might initially seem fantastic I think that about wraps it up so as, as ever remember that you can contact us on englishrevisionpod at gmail.com we've had a few requests coming in for power and conflict poetry which I believe we're going to look at next yeah I think be, and then a bit of Macbeth next week and as well. then looking towards doing some Macbeth stuff as well so thank you very much for getting in touch uh, we hope you've had a lovely weekend and that you've got lots of studying done and we will see you next time on GCSE English Revision Pod